0: Hey, welcome to episode number 111 of More Than Bread. I'm Dan, your host, Bible reader, and a pastor at Calvary Church in Central Pennsylvania. Now, at the risk of distracting you from our mission at hand, let me ask you to take a moment and just remember a favorite meal. (laughs) Not, Not so much the occasion as the food itself. Think of your favorite food, your best meal, the meal you would choose if you could choose it right now. It might be something amazing that you would never eat every day, or it might be comfort food that you long for every moment, dessert, (laughs) My wife's cinnamon rolls, pure comfort food, pizza, best food ever. I had the steak once. It was literally melt in your mouth. Amazing. What is it for you? Now imagine never being able to eat that again. Now take it a step farther. Imagine being in a time of famine where you would settle for the least desirable food that you can imagine just to fill your gut and ease the pain. Now listen to these words again. I read them a few episodes ago, words in Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, where God says, the time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. Beautiful girls and strong young men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. The prophet Amos reminds us here that life is more than bread. And sometimes we take the availability of God's words for granted, just like we take food for granted. But when it's taken away, not just the book, but the hearing of God's voice through the word of God, by the spirit of God, I'm telling you, our souls begin to stagger and our hearts grow faint. I'm praying that God will give us a hunger for his word in these days. In this chapter of More Than Bread, we're diving into the Psalms, my top 40 Psalms. And in, in the last episode, we hit Psalm 13, and now we're jumping ahead to Psalm 16. So let me just give you a bit of the context of Psalm 16 before I read it. Psalm 16 is another psalm of David. It's a psalm of trust and confidence in God. It's a a trust and confidence that ultimately leads to joy. In fact, Psalm 16, verse 11, the last few words of the psalm, is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I quote it in so many of my sermons, my messages, and we'll get to that verse in a moment. Before I read the psalm, let's just hit just a few details to give Psalm 16 context. First, like Psalm 8. 8, excuse me, first, like Psalm 8, Psalm 16 is also quoted in the New Testament. In, in this case, it's in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 28, where Peter, one of the first 12 followers of Jesus and a leader in the early church, Peter refers to Psalm 16, 8 through 11 and applies it to Jesus. So, so David writes these words. He says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord, with him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor you will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Peter looks at those words that David wrote in Psalm 16, and he concludes that David prophetically looked forward thousands of years to the coming of the Messiah and actually spoke about him in Psalm 16. So Peter believes that David was not speaking of himself, but describing Jesus who would conquer death, not be abandoned to the realm of the dead and rise again and bring us great joy. So Psalm 16, at least for David and for me... (laughs) is connected to both Jesus and resurrection. Listen for that in a moment. So think about this. The prophetic element of Psalm 16 is a reminder that the true author, perhaps we might say the author behind the author of Scripture, is God. And in a sense, that's really what Paul means in his letter to Timothy when he says that all Scripture is inspired by God. That word in the Greek means God-breathed. It's breathed by God. Finally, in in just a moment, we'll read in context one of my favorite verses, verse 11. Verse 11 is David's heartfelt closing. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So listen as I read Psalm 16 from the New International Version. David writes, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure." You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I love how David kind of crosses effortlessly back and forth between talking to God and talking to the people, between prayer and explanation. Keep me safe, God. You are my refuge. You are my Lord, verses 1 and 2. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And from there, verses 7 and 8, it's listen, people. I will praise the Lord who counsels me through my heart. I keep my eyes on the Lord because he is at my right hand. Nothing can shake me up. And then it's back to God in verses 10 to 11. God, you will not abandon me. You make known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. There is delight if I stay close to you. Back and forth, back and forth. Time with God. Is not just sacred, special time for a sacred, special place. And in the midst of the people, in the midst of the day, in midst of conversation, God is there. So David goes back and forth. He can go back and forth because God is there. God is a part of it all. But with all that, we could pause on Psalm 16, verse 11, which is where we're landing for the moment. I, I just... I love verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. God, you make known to me the path of life. You, you fill me. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There, There is a path that leads to joy. Now, it's a path that God must reveal to us. He makes it known. It, it leads to his presence, and, and his presence is a, a fullness of joy and forever pleasures. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Now, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for multiple decades, but, but can I tell you something that I hope is not a secret to those who know me? I love to laugh, and I love to laugh at church. I mean, I ask people to describe church, and often the words that come to mind are boring, irrelevant, and boring. <laughs> When's the last time you heard somebody say, hey, I'm gonna have a great party at my house this week, and man, I'm inviting a group of pastors and their closest friends. When I was a kid, I said it all the time, I don't wanna go to church, it's boring, But here's the deal. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven, when we truly experience it, it's like a party, a celebration, a factory of joy. And Christ calls us to live a life that invites people to the party. And and as those people inviting others to the party, our urgent message is simply don't miss the party. So I'm, I'm praying that this episode would lead to some times where God would simply amaze you with his joy give you a down payment on his forever pleasures. I'm praying for you the same thing. I'm praying for the whole Calvary family that we don't miss the party because in the midst of all the difficulty, in the midst of whatever you're going through, don't forget this. One time Jesus was asked, what is the kingdom of God really like? And and his answer was the kingdom of God is like a, a wedding reception, a party, right? I mean, in Jesus' day, wedding receptions were not an obligation. They were these ridiculously lavish celebrations that often involved the whole community and went on for days, not hours. And the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding celebration. C.S. Lewis once said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not saying we don't go through tough times, We've gone through some hard times in this last season of life. I've, I've prayed for more people who've lost loved ones and, and done and gone to more funerals in the last few years than any in recent memory. We've, we've walked through some tough days. I was in Minneapolis the day George Floyd was killed. I, I've prayed with and for police officers whose hearts have been broken in the last few years. It's been one of the hardest seasons of ministry that I've ever led through. People at Calvary have gone through financial uncertainty and mental health issues. There's marriages that just didn't make it through the quarantine, and some are still wrestling through. But Jesus is still the author and the finisher of my faith. He's still the Son of God who dove into our mess to bring us, to gift us, an overflowing joy, joy in the midst of the difficulty. Listen, as hard as any as any season we go through might be, if we really believe the best is yet to come, than a personal relationship with a good, joyful, all-powerful, all-loving creator. man, It should rub off. A bit at least, right? I love how the prophet Isaiah describes this joyful God. In Isaiah 29 verses 13 through 14 says, God is saying, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they've been taught. Therefore, once more, I love this. God says, therefore, once more, I will astound them with wonder upon wonder. See, God is bummed because people's hearts are all bricked up and their worship is filled with dry rules and regulation. There's there's no joy, there's no fun, there's no wonder. So what does God decide to do? Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. In other words, I'm gonna blow their minds, I'm gonna knock their socks off, I'm gonna bring a smile to their faces if it's the last thing I do. And God will do that. He loves to do that. He, a lot of you have heard this story years and years ago. My son Josh is probably about eight. So a couple decades ago, he was sitting in church, he was listening to me preach, and and Josh was asking Lynn all kinds of questions about what I was saying. And finally, she just looked over and she said, Josh, I'm missing everything Daddy is saying. And so he was quiet for a while, and at some point, Lynn looked over at him, and he had his head down in his hands, and and so she just reached over and scratched his back. (laughs) He looked up immediately, huge grin on his face. Mom, do you know what just happened? I prayed, God, if you really hear my prayers, would you make my mom reach over and scratch my back in two minutes and ten seconds? And I counted, and right when I got to 130, (laughs) you reached over and scratched my back. God astounded him with a wonder. You know, when I look back over my life, there's one story after another of the times when God astounded me with a wonder. I I could tell you about the time God gave my family an unexpected pot of dolphins as we as we snorkeled in a bay. I could could tell you about emails received which share stories of life transformation and hope reborn, a marriage restored. I, I could tell you about the birth of each of my kids. I could tell you about walking through dark days with nothing but the joy of Jesus set before us as a motivation to keep going. In my life, God has astounded me with wonder upon wonder. Somehow, somewhere, we've gotten this odd notion that to be truly spiritual is to be terminally gloomy. We paint Christianity in black and white when our our relationship with Jesus is meant to be shown in living color. The, The Bible talks so much about joy. In fact, it would be easy to argue that joy is at the heart of God's plan for humanity. David's words in Psalm 1611 certainly point to that, Right? You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. I I love what John Orberg says. He, He writes, God is the happiest being in the universe. God also knows sorrow, but the sorrow of God is a temporary response to a fallen world. The sorrow will be banished when the world is set right, but joy is God's basic character. Joy is God's eternal destiny. God is the happiest being in the universe. You know, perhaps few things are more essential for the life we long to live than the essential of joy, right? Unexplainable, uncontainable, contagious, and outrageous joy. I'm not. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about a pain-free existence. I'm not talking about getting everything I want when I want it. I'm not even talking about God changing my circumstances. It. It's not circumstantial. happiness. It's it's deeper more solid and more exhilarating it it can produce laughter but it's more than a laugh it can't be defined as a laugh it, it doesn't it doesn't require a closed eye approach to humi- to reality but but it does require a new look at life it requires an understanding that joy is a gift from god that's what Paul is saying in Romans 5, 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And joy is a gift from God, and no one, no one does joy like God. No one does joy like like God? Can I find joy when everything I love seems to be draining away? When life is hard and filled with pain and anxiety, can I find hope and forever pleasures? I believe with all my heart, the answer is yes, but only in God's presence. Joy is not more important than Jesus. Joy is found in his presence, but it's his presence we long for. In fact, if you ask Paul, even heaven without Jesus would not be heaven at all. Joy without Jesus is not joy. I love the way John Piper puts this all into perspective. He says, the critical answer for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural desires, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Would a heaven without Christ satisfy? Would a heaven without Christ satisfy you? Would a heaven without Christ bring you joy? The gospel screams in compassionate horror. No, the, the joy of heaven is not found in the lack of tears, but in the presence of the one who wipes our tears away. The joy of heaven isn't that we have a room prepared for us, but that the, w- room, the one who prepared our room is present. No tears, no cancer, no war, no orphans, no drugs, no addiction is no thing without Jesus. Let me close by reading Psalm 16 again, this time from the message. Keep me safe, O God. I've run for dear life to you. I say to God, be my Lord. Without you, nothing makes sense. And these God-chosen lives all around, what splendid friends they make. Don't, Don't just go shopping for a God. Gods are not for sale. I swear I'll never treat God names like brand names. My choice is you, God, first and only. And now I find that I'm your choice. You set me up with a house and a yard, and then you made me your heir. The wise counsel God gives when, when I'm awake is confirmed by my sleeping heart. Day and night, I'll stick with God. I've got a good thing going, and I'm not letting go. I'm happy from the inside out and from the outside in. I'm firmly formed. You canceled my ticket to hell. That's not my destination. Now you've got my feet on the life path, all radiant from the shining of your face. Ever since you took my hand, I'm on the right way. (laughs) Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every person who feels like their life is devoid of joy. God, I pray that you would gift them with joy. Not that they have to earn, not, not that they have to drum up and beat up and shape up on their own. But God, that you would give them the gift of joy, that they would seek your presence with all of, all their hearts and, and that in your presence they would find a fullness of joy regardless of their circumstances, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of whatever it is that they're going through. Father God, would you pour out your joy upon those who seek your presence? Would you pour out your joy upon those who seek your Son, Jesus? Would you pour out your joy upon those who are filled by your Spirit? God, we we need your joy. We need your joy in days like this. Would you give us your joy? Would you take away anxiety and worry and fear and discouragement and depression? And would you pour out the gift of your joy? Jesus, we acknowledge that in your presence... Is fullness of joy, that you came to give us joy. (laughs) You are the joy giver. And we say thank you. In all these things, we say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.